one 990 9646 is the number. Help at the is the email. We'll get to it in just a bit called the Injury Calculator. In the meantime, you can check it out yourself at injurycalculator.ca. A ton of stuff to get through uh, today, James and, uh, and Savannah. So we'll start with the week that was. Who's going to, James, going to have the first roll? What's up, pal? How are you? So I'd like to talk about uh, a case I've had for a little while, and it's a good demonstration of how. Things can really develop once you get a hold of the file from the insurance company. So what I have known about my client for some time now is that she was on disability because she was in an accident a couple of years ago. And she'd fractured some ribs. She'd had a concussion, post-traumatic stress disorder. She wasn't able to go back to work. And so she'd been off for about a year and a half before her insurance company forces her to go back. They say she's ready to work. Um, even though her own doctors are saying that she can't. She's hesitant, but she listens to her insurance company. She hadn't hired us at this time, by the way. I would have told her not to go back. But in any case, um, she goes back to work, despite what her doctors are saying, and she's having great difficulty. She you know, tells the insurance company that it's you know, been very hard for her, and what happens? She has another incident. She faints, actually, causing her another concussion, and so she can't go back to work again. Her insurance company, when she reapplies, says, no, sorry, you're not entitled. So already it sounds like a pretty good claim. I get the file last week, and I have a look through. It's about 1,000 pages. And within the file, after they had forced her to go back to work, but before she'd had the second incident, they got a report from her psychologist. And the report said it would be inhumane to make this woman continue working. Inhumane. They had this information before she has her second incident. And, of course, she has a second incident, she can't go back to work, and they're still refusing to reinstate her benefits. What's even more troubling is when they deny her reinstatement of benefits, they do so by quoting from this same doctor, the one who says Mm -hmm. it would be inhumane to send her back. And what they do is they cherry-pick out a couple of facts that he's reported, um, just, you know, updating on what she's doing and so forth, but only the ones that are mildly helpful towards the insurance company, leaving out the fact that this doctor said it would be inhumane for her to go back. So they're denying her using his report as part of the basis for the denial, but obviously doing so in such a cynical and disingenuous way that there's no way that they could possibly support that. So what this really does is it gives us an opportunity um, to go after the insurance company, not just for the benefits that she's lost Mm -hmm. and has been entitled to, but they're on the hook for what's happened to her by forcing her to go back to work, by ignoring the medical information that they had in the file. They're on the hook for her pain and suffering. And if it's made her situation worse in a permanent way, um, you know, that could be significant and there could be um, additional aggravated or even punitive damages by doing that um, in a way when they had the information right there. They knew. They knew better. And they forced her back. So they're just trying to cherry pick a little bit of stuff off that report to make it in their sway. Yep. Not happening. Yeah. And and this happens quite a lot, John, in LTD cases. Uh, You know, there are people listening right now who are in the position where uh, they are being told by their case uh, manager, their adjuster, who's handling their LTD claims, that they have to go back to work or else. Mm. And what is that or else? It's or else we're going to cut you off. Well, no. If your doctors are telling you you cannot go back to work, if they've put that opinion uh, in writing and they've given it to the insurance company, you've given it to the insurance company, you have no obligation to go back to work, to make your situation worse, to become sicker Mm -hmm. just because the insurance company wants to save a few cents. What you should do 
is give us a call, email us, let us deal directly with the insurance company. Let us deal with them before you go back to work, before you're like James's client who went to work, became sicker, right. then had to go off work again, and now there is this battle with the insurance company, which we are going to win. But my point is, if you are forced or feel like you're being forced to go back to work, and your doctors tell you that you cannot and you feel like you can't go back to work, give us a call, email us, let us deal with the insurance company on your behalf. one 990 is the number. Uh, Savan speaks of help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Still got a couple minutes. What's going on uh, on, your, uh, on your front there, pal? So, John, last Thursday evening after I picked up my kids from school, I get an, a uh, phone call from my assistant, uh, Jamie, uh, who uh, tells me that she was just uh, in, in her car driving home and she was re-randed by another driver. It's not a big accident, thank God, she's okay. Uh, But she went and spoke with the other driver and said, you know, we need to exchange information, which is the usual uh, thing to do. Uh, There was no need to call the police. There was really no damage from what she could see. The driver, the other driver said, okay, well, Jamie then proceeded to uh, go to the the side of the road. Mm -hmm. uh, And this driver just took off, right? Just took off, which of course is illegal, right? It's a hit and run. Uh, and of course, she calls me up, and you know we we talk about it. And again, she's okay, so there's no concern. She went and spoke. Uh, she called her insurance company. Uh, just some advice on that. If you're involved in a car accident, obviously, uh, you know if there is uh, if there are injuries, then you call 911. Uh, you know you, you call uh, for help. But uh, you know if you can, if somebody if somebody's with you, make sure you take a quick photograph yeah. of the other driver's license plate. Uh, just in the event that something like this happens to you that happened to my assistant. But that leads me to another point, and that's the point of, you know, this is winter's coming. We are, we're having storms now. Uh, people are, for whatever reason, losing their minds again. They forget common sense and how to drive. Uh, and, and, you know, what do you do in a situation where you are involved in a car accident and you do have a hit and run? Or you have a situation where somebody struck you and, you know, they, they've they fled the scene. It's an unidentified driver. Uh, what do you do? What happens if you're injured right. and you are entitled to compensation because of your injuries? Perhaps you're ha- you know, you've had severe injuries because of the accident. Well, the law uh, states that under the, uh, the Insurance Act, Section 265, when you're dealing with uninsured or unidentified drivers, your insurance company, kicks in, right? they kick in, yep. exactly. Now, it's not going to be the million-dollar coverage that generally you find in, uh, in these kinds of, of cases. When you have somebody who's hitting you, their insurance company would respond. Generally, they would have up to a million dollars on standard policies to respond to pay for the various uh, damages you've suffered. In the event that you have an unidentified or uninsured driver that was responsible for the accident, your insurance company steps in and the coverage is up to $200,000. But it's important for you to understand that you do have that coverage. You do have that safety net. So if you're involved in that kind of a collision, make sure you give us a call, email us, and we'll uh, help you through the process. Again, you're also entitled to accident benefits through your insurance company. Don't think that because this uh, the car that hit you uh, fled the scene or the driver that hit you, you find out that they had no insurance, don't think that you're out of luck. No, the law provides for a safety net, and that safety net is your insurance company that steps in. Lots more to go here. We'll take a, a short break. The number is one 990 Email is help at ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So a question for you guys. Uh, you know, when a person is, is not cut off, but rather is told that they will be cut off LTD, can you prevent that cutoff? 
Sometimes we can. Right. And I say sometimes because sometimes we're able to interject ourselves into the discussion. So imagine this. You uh, are on LTD. You get a letter or an email or a phone call from your adjuster that says, we're going to cut you off in a few weeks or a few months or in a year from now. I've seen that happen as well. And the person calls me up and says, what can I do? You know, is it inevitable that they're going to cut my benefits? I don't know how I'll survive, how I'll pay the mortgage, pay for the kids, uh, whatever, activities. And uh, what we do is uh, we review the letter or the email, the correspondence from the insurance companies. We review the medical documentation. We get some more facts. And if we believe that the insurance company is improperly taking that step, meaning that they are going to be cutting the person off when they should not be, we will try to interject. We will uh, contact the adjuster directly on behalf of this person once that person retains us to do that. We are going to be the ones talking with the insurance company. And, you know, we've had successes on that front. We've been able to, at times, persuade the insurance company adjuster not to cut the person off. And I say that because, I say persuade because we haven't appealed anything. There's no appeal that we've gone through here, right? You know our opinion on appeals. Uh, (laughs) We think that they're useless. Now, if the insurance company says, no, we are going to proceed with the cutoff, that's not the end of, of you know the story at that point. We've positioned ourselves in such a way that we can start a claim very, very soon after uh, the person is cut off or even start a claim right at this moment right now by taking the position at law that the insurance company is essentially breaching the contract. Even though they haven't started payments, they've now told our client that they're going to stop payments. We take the position that is a breach of the contract and we start a claim now. And we have had cases where we've resolved the claim with the insurance company without any gap in payments, meaning that our client had continued to receive payments. And at the same time, during that time period, we've resolved the entire claim in its entirety for the individual so they didn't have to suffer without any money. So don't wait is the basis. No, is the moral do not, of the story. Do not it, wait. Right? Don't assume, don't yeah. think that by burying your head in the sand, uh, you, you, nothing's going to happen to you, that, yeah. that you know they're going to just decide out of the goodness of their heart, you know, because it's the holiday season, not to cut you off. That's not going to happen. Get to an email. I'll throw this one uh, towards you. James Shelley writes in, says, My daughter developed depression and anxiety over the last few years. And first she was on short-term disability, but then she was denied long-term disability because the insurance company didn't think her psychologist was treating her properly. Based on what their uh, psychologist thought, she was thinking of just giving up, but I told her uh, to fight. Can you help? What can she do? So I look at this question from two different perspectives, John. The first is in the broad sense in how the insurance industry views mental health claims. Mm. Um, LTD insurers in particular are well behind the curve. Um, I I see a little bit more with the tort insurers when you're involved in a personal injury claim um, that they are recognizing mental health claims as they ought to be. This is something that the courts have recently made very clear they must do. Um, They have to treat mental health claims just as they do physical health claims. They can't say, oh, okay, well, it's all in your head. That doesn't fly anymore. But the LTD insurers are are a little bit behind the curve. So in that sense, um, certainly, you know, we can help because once you bring it into litigation, once you start a legal claim and it moves from the adjuster to the legal department in the insurance company, They have to take it more seriously, and they have lawyers there, and they will take it more seriously. Specifically in this case, though, I'd want to learn a little bit more about what's happening um, with Shelley's daughter and what the recommendations are, because it may well be that if they're just recommending different treatment or more treatment, perhaps it might be worthwhile to consider, you know, saying, okay, we'll do that treatment as well, too. It might even help, and at the very least, 
Um, even if it doesn't result in a reinstatement of benefits, it precludes the insurance company from saying, you didn't mitigate your losses, you didn't do yeah. enough, you didn't do the treatment recommendations. Well, if she's gone through it, they can't say that anymore. So it might be useful um, to say, okay, all right, these are the treatment recommendations that you're saying we should do. All right, let's try that. That might be useful. You know, and we talked about this before, Savannah, you know, long-term disability insurers often ask a disabled person to go see a doctor for their assessment on their doctor. Can they refuse to go? And if you go and it contradicts what your own doctors say, what do you do? Right. No, the general rule is that you cannot refuse to go. You know, that said, if you are disabled because of a psychological issue and they want you to go see an orthopedic surgeon, I mean, that's an extreme example, but, you know, it's questionable whether or not you should be, in fact, going to see that person. I mean, arguably, no. Uh, But no, insurance companies do have a right, and it's a contractual right, uh, to have you see one of their doctors. And, you know, something that people need to understand, and we've touched on this quite a few times on this show, is that these doctors work for the insurance company. Very important to understand, which is why we rely so heavily on our (coughs) clients' doctors and their expertise to review these reports, to check, uh, to be a check and balance on those reports that come from the insurance company. And oftentimes, as James and I have discussed in the past, uh, we send our clients not only to, you know, for reports to their treating doctors, but also to extremely high-end doctors, people who are leaders in their fields. So that, you know, so that when we're dealing with the insurance company, uh, we're coming in there armed with with as many medical reports as we possibly can get from the top people. And it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, you know, they'll go see the insurance company's doctor and their doctor will say, yeah, no, this guy can't go back to work. Right? Yeah. Like oh, only, absolutely. It doesn't automatically John, mean. listen, when I, when I, in fact, I have a case right now that's going on where my client was uh, sent to see a, um, a psychiatrist on behalf of the insurance mm-hmm. company. And I was reviewing, this just happened last week, and I was reviewing the report from the defense psychiatrist, the psychiatrist who's being paid, this report was paid for by the insurance company. And as I'm reading it, I have to keep reminding myself that this report was prepared on behalf of the insurance company because it is so pro my client that, you know, I can only tell you that the insurance company, whoever was commissioning that report was probably shaking their head as they were reading that report. Because, you know, you do have (laughs) these doctors out there who do exactly what is right, which is that they report on the truth. Uh, and they're not skewing their conclusions in favor of who's paying them. And sometimes they do shoot themselves in the foot by sending you to their doctors. We'll get to more of your emails and questions here in just a bit. The number anytime, one 990 9646 is help at the And if you find out or want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, injurycalculator.ca as well. We'll cover that in just a little bit as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number to get a hold of Savannah and the firm. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got an email here. Uh, one of you guys will take this one. Janice writes in, says, my best friend uh, was raped three years ago, and since then she's had nightmares and hasn't been able to function properly. She used to be an accounts manager at a bank, and now she can hardly go outside the house. She's been on LTD for almost two years, but was told that her benefits would stop because she no longer meets the criteria for quote-unquote total disability she's 48 and her therapist says that if she's forced to go back to work she'll fail and regress can you help her can you deal with the insurance company so i think the first thing that we need to understand about this is what's going on from the insurance perspective and the two-year mark is a critical uh benchmark in any disability claim pretty standard right yeah generally at two years almost every insurance policy has what's referred to as a change of definition And so at that point in time, 
your entitlement to disability changes from whether or not you can return to your own job, your own occupation, to whether or not you can do any occupation. So it becomes harder after two years to uh, maintain your disability coverage, your right. benefits. So that's what's going on here. Now, to address Janice's email about her friend, um, there's absolutely a lot that we can do to help your friend, Janice. Um, the treatment treatment for something as traumatic as being raped is very sensitive. Um, it takes time, often years, and it doesn't abide by an arbitrary schedule set up by an insurance company. So if your friend's doctor is saying that you can't go back to work because uh, she's going to regress, then she can't go back. She has to listen to her doctor. If her insurer cuts her off in these circumstances, they're really playing with fire here. Not only are they almost certain to lose when challenged in court in terms of her benefits, but if she does go back to work and if, as her doctors have suggested, she regresses and gets worse, that's on the insurance company. If they force her back to work, they're aware of the danger. They're on the hook if she gets worse. They can be held responsible. I mean, not just the disability benefits, but pain and suffering, aggravated damages, punitive damages. They're opening themselves up to all kinds of different claims here. Here's a question for you guys. We most recently, or at least we're going to, start having a lot of snowstorms in this city and uh, tons of car accidents happens every time. Nobody learns. Uh, what should people, why should people, or what should people have uh, been injured in car accidents understand and know from a, you know, a legal standpoint about compensation law in Ontario, this province, when they and when they should contact you? The first thing to know is you should contact us right away. It's incredibly important that you do so, particularly when you're talking about an accident that involves winter weather conditions. Um, in Ontario, there is the Municipal Act. The Municipal Act will apply anytime there's an accident that occurs on a city-owned property. Uh, and that can extend further than you might think. Often, it certainly is going to include any roads that you're driving on um, and sidewalks, but it'll also include an area that extends from the road. And it changes depending on where you are. So you're never really entirely sure exactly how far it extends. Um, but if you're anywhere near a municipal road, it can apply there. And certainly if you're driving, it applies there as well, too. Um, so when you're in, when you have an accident, whether it's a slip and fall, whether it's a car accident, and it might involve um, a municipality, you have to give them notice in 10 days. And there are specific requirements that you have to give them. We can help you with that. We can draft the letter. We can make sure that they're notified properly. But it's imperative that you do it right away because you only got 10 days. And if you don't do it in that time, you could have a real problem. And that's really out of fairness um, because the municipality obviously is going to have all kinds of different claims to investigate. And if you don't tell them about the accident until a year and a half after, they've got no way to investigate what happened. So um, there's a reason why it's in there. It's not um, just to prevent any litigation. It is a matter of fairness. That's an important point. Ten days. Most people would have no idea. Yeah, it's very important. And it's not just in the context, obviously, of car accidents. Uh, we see a lot of cases. People come to us when they've uh, slipped and fell on, on even sidewalks. sidewalks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very important. I mean, unless you have a very good reason and there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, under the Municipal Act, uh, when you know the courts will say it's okay if you didn't give notice within 10 days, you don't want to be fighting one of those exceptions because I can guarantee you that if we have to start a legal claim for compensation because you broke your knee or even more catastrophically, you know, you've suffered some kind of a, a brain injury or a spine injury in a, in a terrible slip and fall, you don't want to be in a situation where we have to fight the municipality on the basis of the notice period provision. Either you or someone you know, family members, someone, Put that notice there. And if you don't know where and, and, and to whom to, to provide the notice, contact us and we will help you. It's not that difficult. Uh, another point to make here, um, if you are involved in an accident, uh, you might just want a refresher on 
what you should do in the moments that follow. Um, I've actually written a blog for this, so I'm going to plug that. Um, if you go to stlawyers.ca yep. backslash blog, you'll find it there. And it goes through step-by-step step what you do when you're involved in an accident. Um, very briefly, you know, first things first, make sure you are safe before doing anything else. Make sure that the passengers in your car are okay. Um, then you're going to want to make sure that you get the license and insurance information from any other drivers involved. Um, you want to photograph uh, whatever oh, yeah. you can. Um, and as Savon mentioned earlier, certainly you know take the time to photograph the other car's license plate in case they try and run away. Sure. Um, but you want to take pictures of the damage to the vehicles um, from any, as many angles as you can, not just yours, but the other vehicles as well. Um, take any notes that you think are important, anything that you remember, because if you do that, you're going to have a contemporaneous record of what happened. And if down the road there's a legal claim that started by you or by the other driver and there's some dispute over what happened and you have photographs and you have notes, your version is going to be preferred over someone else's memory from a year or two years before. So it's really critical that you do that at the time mm -hmm. as best you can, obviously after you've made sure everyone is safe. Um, and then, you know, if there's any significant damage, if anyone is injured, um, if you're not sure whether or not you should call 911, call 911. Right. And if, you know, there's, if the circumstances are such that it's not a significant enough accident for them to respond, they'll tell you. But if you're not sure, err on the side of caution, call 911 um, and get the, you know, assistance that might be relevant in your circumstances. More of your emails coming up. Contact one 990 9646 Help at the Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number anytime. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We mentioned a couple of times, Savannah, run us through it. That is the injury calculator. Love this tool. Yeah, it's a tool that we've uh, created a few years back. It's been used thousands of times across the province, in fact, across the country. It's a free tool, and what it does is it gives you a starting point uh, to try and figure out how much pain and suffering compensation you could be entitled to in the event that you were injured as a result of someone's negligence. And whether that's uh, a car accident that you were not at fault for or whether it's a slip and fall, uh, someone didn't maintain the uh, sidewalk or the parking lot and you suffered a fracture or a strain in your neck, something, you want to know, does it make sense for me to start a legal claim? Uh, what am I owed if I am going to start a legal claim? And this tool essentially is a database. It's a database of cases from across Canada where people have started claims and uh, gone through the entire uh, uh, claims process and judges have given verdicts. And so if you've fractured your ankle, for example, you want to know, well, what can I get if I fractured my ankle because of a slip and fall? Yeah. That tool will, you know, within seconds give you that answer. It'll give you a range of like a, a dollar amount range uh, of, of what your injury is potentially worth. Now, remember, every case is distinct. And this calculator only deals with pain and suffering. To give you an example, uh, a case that I had a while back, I had a gentleman who had uh, broken his ankle in two locations, had surgery, uh, had metal hardware put in there. Uh, he was in his early 40s, and he had a uh, physical-type job in a factory, and he wasn't able to go back to work for about two years. And he was earning about $50,000 a year. Uh, so, you know, the pain and suffering component for his ankle uh, was resolved for around $45,000. Uh, but the uh, income loss component of the claim was 
almost double that, yeah. okay? And, and so you have cases where, you know, your pain and suffering could be worth, let's say, a, I don't know, $100,000, but your income loss could be a million bucks. Or maybe you have out-of-pocket expenses. You've had to reconfigure your house because now you have mobility issues. We usually see that with uh, the elderly when they have hip fractures mm-hmm. and now, you know, they need uh, a wheelchair. So very, very important to understand that this tool, injurycalculator.ca, uh, it allows you to uh, figure out within seconds what you could potentially be getting or entitled to for pain and suffering, but your case could be more um, uh, robust, robust than that, right? Exactly. Now. Yeah, you, yeah. C- you could easily have a case that is worth a lot more. It's just a starting point, but go to it. It's interesting. If you like what you see at the end, click on right. uh, consultation. We'll get the email and start a conversation. Email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Get to one here. And uh, this would be Blake writing in says, My wife was on her way to school with our kids last month, and she was hit pretty hard by an SUV in the back and was pushed into the intersection. Her car sustained a ton of damage. The kids were okay, thank God, but my wife hit her head pretty hard on the steering wheel and had to be taken to hospital. She was diagnosed with concussion and hasn't gone back to work yet. The doctors are concerned that she suffered a brain injury, uh, which is a concussion. Uh, she's having a lot of memory issues and headaches. I'm just wondering what we should do or what should be doing with our insurance company. The other guy was charged by the police. Blake, uh, first of all, I'm sorry for the accident, and thank God the kids are okay. Although, just make sure that you continue monitoring them and having the doctors monitor them. Uh, sometimes with uh, children, uh, the injuries don't become uh, more apparent until down the road. Uh, with your wife, the fact that she suffered a concussion, I mean, that is a brain injury. Yep. So if the doctors are saying that they're concerned with a brain injury, uh, it's possible that what they're uh, talking about is something a bit more severe. You have different ranges of brain injuries, but a concussion is a brain injury. Go to Google, type in concussion, you'll see it says brain injury. Actually, okay? it says traumatic brain injury. Traumatic, sorry, traumatic go. brain injury, which is very, very serious. Uh, so she has concussive symptoms. She's not back to work. Very important to understand, if you're involved in a car accident in Ontario and it's not your fault, there are, at the very least, two types of compensation claims that you're entitled to. One is from your insurance company, Mm -hmm. your automobile insurance. It's called accident benefits. Those accident benefits should cover you for income replacement if you can't work up to whatever the amount is. Usually it's $400 a week week, unless you have optional coverage. Uh, But, you know, you can have medical rehabilitation benefits. Mm -hmm. There's a whole slew of benefits potentially you're entitled to. Let me let me yeah, just jump, let me just jump in here very briefly. Important to remember, even though it won't matter in this case because it sounds like the other driver is at fault. Fault doesn't matter when you're talking about accident benefits from your own insurance company. Very important. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Yeah, you could be you could be the person at fault. In fact, it can be a single car collision. Right? You just lost control and your car went right. to a ditch. Good call. Yeah. Right. It, very important to understand. You are going to be owed those accident benefits from your insurance company. You've paid for that coverage. Okay? okay, it's no different than your insurance company having to repair your car or write it off. You've paid for that; they should be paying you. But you know the other type of claim that we often deal with, which could be much more significant than the accident benefits claim, it's called the tort claim, and that's the claim that we advance, and only lawyers can do that, uh, as opposed to, for example, paralegals. Uh, it's a claim against the at-fault driver's insurance company, and it's for pain and suffering, and it's for future income losses, and it's for a lot of things uh, that your accident benefit insurer, your own insurer, will not pay you or will pick up from where your accident ben- uh, uh, benefit insurer has left off. So let's say that you're owed up to $50,000 for medical rehabilitation benefits. Okay, You suffered severe injuries, a concussion, Blake, uh, for your wife. Let's say that it's a long road to recovery. Let's say that she's exhausted that $50,000 that she's potentially owed, maybe even more, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, we go for the excess 
we, we, we go and claim that from the other insurance company, right. the tort insurer. So it's very important to understand that you may be entitled to two separate claims, one from your insurance company and one from the other driver's insurance company. Another point uh, that I think is worth exploring here, I don't know if we have enough details to really determine this, but um, given that you know you have two kids um, and obviously you're married to your wife, Blake, um, there's a potential that there might be what's called a Family Law Act claim as well, um, which anytime you bring a legal claim against a at-fault party, whether it's a driver or someone else who, through their negligence, has caused you an injury or someone an injury, that person's family is entitled to bring a claim for the mm-hmm. impact that the injury has on their lives. Right. So, Blake, in your wife's case, um, your wife is suffering from a concussion. That's obviously going to have an impact on not just her own health, but on her relationship with you and her relationship with your kids and in how she's able to care for your kids. And if you're, you know, if your children are young, um, then, you know, I would assume that both of you are involved in their care to a great extent. And if that has been impacted in some way, your kids are losing out because of this. Um, And that's significant. And there's a claim that can be advanced. In your case, Blake, if this is having an impact on you in the sense that you have to miss time from work, um, there's a claim for that as well, too. So that's something that I would like to explore as well. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Anytime, email like Blake as well. Help the insurance lawyer.ca. And again, check it out if you haven't already. Injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. You know, one of the issues that often comes up in our discussions, damages like we just had uh, with Blake. And to quantify the money that a person who is injured owed, on top of the stuff that Blake would be uh, available for, like compensation, a pain and suffering, income loss, future care, what else is there under that banner? I, I think one of the first things that you want to discuss here, or that we should be discussing, um, is the difference between disability claims and injury claims um, as a starting point. When you're talking about a disability claim, generally what you're claiming for is the disability benefits that you are owed under that insurance policy. So it's defined by this contract that you have with your insurance policy. On occasion, as we've discussed, there might be ways to get more than just what you're entitled to under the policy, but usually that's what you're looking at. On the other hand, when you're talking about an injury claim, there are many other things that you might be claiming for. So your loss of income, your pain and suffering, um, your future care, um, loss of pension benefits, anything that you're out of pocket for, Um, And when you're looking at an injury claim, you also want to look at different types of claims. So motor vehicle claims have different rules than would apply, for example, to slip and fall claims or product liability claims or um, even dog bite claims. Um, There's all kinds of different Mm -hmm. claims that are out there, but the rules that apply change. If you're involved in a car accident, then you you have to abide by the Insurance Act, and there's all kinds of rules out there that would apply. I mean, it's very important to understand, and, and this is something that people often miss. Uh, they have an injury, uh, or a loved one has an injury, and they're thinking, okay, well, can I just get reimbursement for some of the medical expenses? Not thinking altogether that perhaps, you know, this hip fracture uh, entitles your loved one to, I don't know, $100,000 for pain and suffering, right? Every case is different, but, you know, even when you're looking at income loss, somebody who has been injured in a car accident, slip and fall, whatever it is, Let's say that they've returned to their work now, but you know what? They're doing it with a lot of pain. Maybe they can put in the overtime hours. So maybe there is an income loss component, right? They were earning $50,000 last year, but the overtime was an extra 10. Now they're losing that 10. 
Okay, well, maybe we can claim for that 10. But what about claiming for the loss of competitive advantage? Maybe that person is now not going to be as competitive in their workplace and in the workplace in general. What if that person has to retire early? Okay, I mean, I have, you know, I have a case, uh, well, actually, I had a case uh, a while back uh, with, with a nurse that had retired early by three years, and she was making close to $100,000, right? I mean, so just do the math on that. So it's very important to understand that if you or a loved one have been injured through no fault of their own, don't simply assume that even the injury calculator will give you yeah. the full answer. Contact us so we can have that discussion. And remember, it doesn't cost anything to talk to us. We'll review a few documents, we'll talk to you for a few minutes, and we will give you a rough idea of what you're looking at. And then you can make a decision. Remember also, you have that two-year limitation period. You don't want, you know, you don't want to be like some people who call us after the show uh, and say, Two you know, years in a day. Three Oops. years ago or five years ago or whenever it was, this is what happened to me. Can I do anything? No, on, you probably can't. On the other hand, give us a call and find out because there are occasionally circumstances True. where you can. Um, and it's worth at least exploring. But yes, more often than not, if you wait more than two years, you got a problem. You just don't want to be in a situation yeah. where you have to fight that. The number is one 9646 Help at the See, We've got about uh, a, couple, a couple minutes left here, so we'll get to this email. You guys can uh, can get through it. Uh, Mary says, I slipped on an icy walkway on my way to the store at a nearby plaza. Where I live in Ottawa, this happened last winter. I broke my right ankle in three places as well as a full shoulder tear and had surgery on both my ankle and shoulder. I was semi-retired at the time, but I still worked 15 hours a week and haven't been able to uh, to work since. Can, uh, can I claim any compensation for my pain? Who is responsible for that walkway being so icy? The store manager who came out said that other people slipped there regularly and the winter contractor was just not doing his job. I'm quite angry about this. Well, Mary, I would be angry too if this happened to me. I mean, the fact that it happened last winter, uh, you know, you, you had mentioned that you um, you slipped on a, on a walkway. So we need to figure out very quickly who was responsible, who owned that walkway, because if it's the municipality, uh, if it's Ottawa, uh, then I really hope that notice was given to Ottawa under the Municipal Act. We talked about that, mm-hmm. the 10-day notice uh, provision. Uh, but, you know, either way, it's a good thing you're contacting us because, we, we, you know, we can talk about it. These are severe injuries. And even if you go to the injury calculator, uh, you're not going to get the full answer here because, again, you know, you're semi-retired. Now you can't work, so there's going to be an income loss component. Uh, you are going to have uh, clearly, as you know, major issues going forward with your shoulder and your ankle. These kinds of injuries never heal 100%. And, you know, we need to do our due diligence ASAP to figure out who owned the property, who maintained it. Oftentimes you have a winter maintenance contractor. Sometimes we have subcontractors. We have to get all the parties together. We have to get all the insurance companies and put them on notice and then deal with your claim in a streamlined fashion so we can maximize the compensation for you. But, you know, injuries like this, John, these are injuries that, from a value standpoint, easily in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, these are these are serious types of injuries. And, you know, many people out there, they just won't do anything. They'll just, you know, they just don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. I'm putting that in quotes. No, no, right? be one of those people. It, well, but this is your money. Remember, yeah. when we say that you are owed this money, we're not saying that you are you know, scamming the system. The law is there to protect you. This is what the law uh, allows uh, uh, you to claim for pain and suffering. These insurance companies, when they write a check at the end of the day to one of James's clients or one of my clients for $10 or for $10,000 or for $10 million, it's not because they want to write that check. It's because the law forces right. them to do so. It's up to you, though, to decide if you want to, in fact, pursue that compensation 
and have us act for you and then get you that money. If you don't want to do it, that's great. Those insurance companies, they're going to be more than happy to keep your money. one 9646 the number. Help the insurance lawyer.ca. We'll wrap up with one more email as we continue the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9646 the number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Jennifer writes in, says, My 19-year-old son and I were in a head-on collision six months ago. The other driver veered uh, into our lane. Our car was totaled, and my son hit his head hard on the windshield when our car flipped. He's having major memory issues and headaches. He was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. And I'm just wondering if we should be starting some sort of claim against the other driver who was charged for the accident. Absolutely. Um, If your son is still having symptoms six months after the accident, there's a significant risk that his condition is going to be permanent. Um, You know, there's significant pain and suffering that comes with with a concussion. Um, And this can have an enormous impact on his ability to earn an income. He's 19 years old, so he's got his entire working life ahead of him. Um, Let's say we assume that he would work until 65, which, by the way, isn't always a fair assumption anymore. Many people work well beyond that. But let's be conservative and say 65. You're talking about a good 40 years of working life expectancy. Even if he makes a pretty good recovery, and let's say that he recovers to the extent that, you know, what he's left with are, you know, occasional headaches um, that are going to impact him and fatigue, And let's say conservatively, we say that costs him maybe $5,000 a year. In a best case scenario, you're talking about $200,000 of future income losses. Um, And that's in a best case scenario. That's if he recovers significantly more than he has in the six months. If he doesn't improve um, and he's never able to work or significantly limited in how he can can work, um, it can be exponentially higher. Um, And I I don't even know what that could be. It really depends on... Uh, you know, what his trajectory looked like at the time, what he was studying, what uh, his grades were like. There are all kinds of arguments that can be made, but it's significant. There's a very serious claim here. So just to pick up on that, John, I just, um, I, I remember a case uh, that I had two years ago. Uh, a mother in a sim- similar circumstance came to me, and again, her son was also injured, uh, was a brain injury. And I remember, uh, you know, they were with another lawyer, and they had heard the show and they had approached me just to review the claim and just review what was going on because the communication was awful with the lawyer. The lawyer just didn't respond to anything. And I remember looking at the uh, claim that the lawyer had issued, and you know, I was scanning it really for just uh, one phrase, which is brain injury, which was really you know the central uh, thing in this case, uh, the central injury. Uh, and it didn't even say brain injury. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. It had sort of the usual language about tears and, and you know, uh, emotional b- being being distraught, which, which is all fine. I mean, yep. these are all legitimate things, you know, that this person uh, suffered a whole bunch of injuries. But the brain injury with this was the central thing, the central injury. And it wasn't even in the claim. So, you know, you want to make sure that when you or a loved one is involved in an accident that is this serious, that you do your due diligence in terms of who you contact. And don't just contact any lawyer that's on any billboard. Uh, it just, you have to make sure that you check out the law firm. You have to make sure you speak, uh, you know, in depth, perhaps even get some references. But you have to make sure that the claim is handled correctly from start to finish. Because switching midway could prejudice your claim. And not every lawyer, not every lawyer is willing to take on a claim after another lawyer had made a mess of it. And that's not to say that every lawyer out there other than the lawyers at my firm 
are awful. No, that's not true. Sure. But it's just like every other industry. You have to be careful. You really do have to be careful on who you use, which is why we tell people, you know, give us a call, try us out, take us for a test run. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not going to cost you anything. Let's chat. Let us review your documents and let's, you know, have a discussion and we'll tell you what we think. And then you can decide how you want to proceed. One last point, John, and speaking from um, somebody who used to do insurance work, if you have the wrong law firm or the wrong lawyer, I can guarantee you that your settlement is going to be much lower than it should be because the insurance company is going to reserve the amount of money that they were going to pay you at a much lower amount. And I'm talking about not a few dollars and cents. I'm talking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially. So make that call, one 990 It is help at the through email. And if you haven't used it yet, or at least tried it, injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.